to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Thursday, September 3rd, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 39. This episode is brought to you by hashtag FamTaughtMe, my fertility awareness education initiative. Find all of my fertility awareness blogs on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash FamTaughtMe, and follow me on Instagram at FamTaughtMe to learn more. I'm available for one-on-one consultations and would love to connect with you on Patreon. I've also created the Fam Taught Me Paper Charting Journal and my new book, A Guide to Fertility Awareness as Contraception. I invite you to check it out on my Patreon where you can order these resources directly. This episode is going to discuss fibroids, ovarian cysts, and estrogen metabolism. I've had the honor of working with many people who've dealt with these issues and they're very disruptive to their lives but I'm also really proud of the progress they've made in treating them through diet, lifestyle, herbalism, and supplementation. Fibroids and ovarian cysts both have the same root cause in that excess estrogen is what causes these abnormal growths in the reproductive organs. If you think about it, estrogen is supposed to appear in high amounts during the fertile window. As I've discussed in previous podcasts, it is estrogen that does a bunch of really important jobs for us in preparation for ovulation. Some of these jobs include proliferating the uterine lining, maturing the egg, and directing the cervix to change its shape and make cervical fluid. After ovulation, estrogen is no longer the dominant hormone, as progesterone takes over in the luteal phase. But a lot of reproductive health issues come up when estrogen is found in excess throughout the cycle. This is the result of making too much estrogen, being hypersensitive to estrogen, or having a hard time excreting estrogen properly. So getting to the root cause of an ovarian cyst or fibroid means examining how your body is metabolizing estrogen. Thankfully, with fertility awareness, we can use cervical fluid and cervical position observations as key metrics for measuring estrogen levels across the cycle, rather than on one single day on one single blood test. And this gives us an understanding of how estrogen is circulating throughout your body, throughout your menstrual cycle. And this can inform you to create the best regimen for your needs. So let's jump right in. Uterine fibroids are benign growths found on your uterine muscle. The vast majority of the time, fibroids do not cause symptoms or pain and won't even really be noticed unless found on an ultrasound. It's fairly common to have fibroids after the age of 35, and this does not necessarily mean that these fibroids need to be treated or removed, especially if they are not painful for you. Fibroids, if they grow large enough, can cause pain by pressing on other pelvic organs such as the bladder. If you Google symptoms of fibroids, the first thing that will pop up is heavy menstrual bleeding, but here's a reason why that's not exactly accurate. Only about 10% of fibroids grow inside the uterine cavity where they could cause heavy bleeding. This means that 90% of fibroids are growing inside the uterine muscle and therefore do not produce excess endometrium. So why is heavy bleeding associated with fibroids? Well, it's because they both have the same root cause, estrogen excess. This means that your heavy bleeding is not caused by the existence of a fibroid, but rather by too much estrogen, whose job it is, normally, to proliferate uterine lining. So instead of making the right amount of uterine lining, excess estrogen instructs the body to make too much uterine lining. The effect of this is that you have a heavier-than-normal menstrual bleed when it comes time to release that lining. 
At the same time, excess estrogen is at the root of fibroid growth. So it's common to see these two things happen at once, though the misconception lies in that fibroids generally are not the cause of heavy menstrual bleeding. Sometimes this is referred to as endometrial hyperplasia and is a concurrent condition to the fibroid, but not actually caused by it. In order to talk about ovarian cysts, we have to talk about normal ovulation. Cyst is such a negative word that it sounds like a growth that's not supposed to be there. But the fact of the matter is that every ovulation is a cyst. Or we could use better terminology and say that every ovulation starts in the ovarian follicle. An ovarian follicle is a small fluid-filled sac in the ovary that contains one immature egg. And there are thousands of follicles in the ovaries. The process starts with follicle recruitment, where the body picks a couple contender follicles to become the next mature egg, and they fill with fluid. As these follicles develop under the direction of the hormone estrogen, one will be selected as the dominant follicle and the other failed contenders will reabsorb. During ovulation, the mature egg is actually pushed out of the follicle and into the abdominal cavity, where the fallopian tubes scoop it up and send it on its way. The remnants of the burst follicle turn into a temporary endocrine organ called the corpus luteum, which secretes progesterone. This is the normal development of an ovarian follicle during the menstrual cycle. However, with an ovarian cyst, that ovarian follicle fails to burst on time to release the egg and continues growing beyond its normal size. It's almost like it's stuck in the preovulatory phase for too long growing between 2 centimeters and 10 centimeters in size. Ovarian cysts are not necessarily painful or harmful, especially if they are small and they may just be seen on an ultrasound. But it's when they grow large enough that they start to impact the other pelvic organs pushing against them or causing bloating, nausea, pain, or irregular spotting that it becomes a problem. If a large ovarian cyst bursts, this can cause severe acute pain and give you the symptoms of an infection, like fever and vomiting. Most times, all that is recommended is pain medicine, and the immune system cleans up the rest on its own. In some cases, the internal bleeding from the cyst can require immediate medical attention. So to recap, ovarian cysts are actually normal ovarian follicles that have overgrown from the presence of too much estrogen. This makes it different from polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a metabolic disorder with the side effect of keeping too many ovarian follicles in an undeveloped state. Thus, polycystic is also a misnomer. These are simply undeveloped ovarian follicles which fail to mature in the presence of too much androgens. If you're interested in learning more about PCOS, you can listen to episode 23. This leads us to discussing the path of estrogen metabolism. Estrogen is a friendly hormone for us menstruators. It is something we want to make every cycle during the fertile window so that it can do its various jobs. It is primarily made in the ovaries, adrenal glands, and fat cells, and then travels through the bloodstream to its various destinations. Estrogen is the proliferator hormone, and I discussed this in greater detail during episode 25, Why Ovulation Matters. This is why it becomes a problem to have too much estrogen. Instead of proliferating at the right time in the right amounts, your body is proliferating things when it shouldn't, or to the size that it shouldn't. When I say estrogen metabolism, I'm talking about the normal removal process of estrogen from the body after it's done its job. 
Some people call this detoxification, but I feel like that word is pretty charged with a lot of connotations, so I like to say that it's simply the process your body does to flush out estrogen it's finished using, and then it will make more again in the future. Step one of estrogen metabolism occurs in the liver. Your liver needs nutrients like B vitamins, magnesium, selenium, and zinc, as well as protein to do its job. It will attach a small molecule to active estrogen in order to inactivate it. Then it sends it to your gut to prepare it to be excreted. Once this inactivated estrogen reaches your gut, step two happens. When you have a healthy gut microbiome, they do all the work by assisting in estrogen removal, which is eventually physically excreted in your urine and stool. We call the microbiome, which deals directly with estrogen, the estrobolome. So what can go wrong in this scenario? If the liver is functionally impaired, this can lead to problems inactivating estrogen, leaving more estrogen circulating in its active form and impairing the rest of the process. Toxins that negatively affect the liver's ability to detoxify estrogen include alcohol and endocrine-disrupting chemicals as well as prescription drugs. If the liver is doing its job properly, then you can focus on the gut. When you have an abundance of bad bacteria in your gut, they make an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, which reactivates estrogen and sends it to recirculate through the body, resulting in estrogen excess. Maintaining a healthy gut microbiome is essential to excreting estrogen properly and making sure it doesn't recirculate, a process called enterohepatic recirculation. There's also the issue of hypersensitivity to estrogen, which occurs most often with iodine deficiency or chronic inflammation. Either of those issues should also be addressed, if need be, to deal with estrogen in excess. Another cause of excess estrogen is hormonal birth control, containing ethanol estradiol, a xenoestrogen that's stronger than the body's own homemade estradiol, and it can damage the gut microbiome and impair estrogen metabolism. Perimenopause, the time of transition before menopause, can cause swings in estrogen, and this may be why it's more common to see fibroids above the age of 35. Insulin resistance can also upregulate the type of estrogen called estrone, putting you at risk for uterine cancer later in life. And lastly, estrogen stimulates the creation of more histamine while downregulating the enzyme that clears histamine. This becomes a vicious feedback cycle where more estrogen makes more histamine, which makes more estrogen. And this is why dealing with histamine intolerance is another thing to pay attention to in this process of estrogen metabolism. Now I'm going to talk about treatment for fibroids. Conventional treatment of uterine fibroids is as follows. If the fibroid is not large or growing inside the uterus itself, it doesn't need medical treatment. Doctors will tell you to just wait and see if it grows larger, but this would be the perfect opportunity to do what you can to restore healthy estrogen metabolism. If the fibroid is large enough to require treatment, there are a few options. Myoectomy is the name for surgical removal of a fibroid while leaving the uterus intact and comes with the risk of bleeding. Hysterectomy is the removal of the entire uterus and has bigger risks and complications related to the removal of the organ. And lastly, there's uterine artery embolization, which is where a radiologist injects small beads into your uterine artery to block fibroid blood supply, thereby shrinking it and carries the risk of infection or pain, though it is considered safer than the other conventional treatments mentioned. 
Sometimes pharmaceuticals like GnRH agonists, which block production of estrogen, are used to improve fibroid symptoms. Even contraceptives are prescribed to deal with the heavy bleeding. But as I said before, at the end of the day, fibroids are not the cause of the heavy bleeding. And contraceptives do not treat estrogen excess because they impair ovulation, which makes progesterone estrogen's balancing hormone. In contrast to this, we do have options for autonomous treatment, that is, diet, supplements, and herbs. But first, I wanted to start off by talking a little about risk factors. When it comes to uterine fibroids, anything that increases your exposure to estrogen is going to increase the likelihood of fibroid growth. Some of these factors include chronic alcohol use, which increases estrogen, exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals known as xenoestrogens in anything from personal care products to home cleaning products, pesticides, and plastics, as well as taking the pill at a young age or for prolonged periods of time. There's also a genetic component to fibroid development, and proper estrogen metabolism should be built into your regimen if you do have a family history. Now, there's no evidence to strongly support that natural treatments can substantially shrink fibroids, but there are the anecdotes of many people who've got their fibroids under control with these treatments. And by dealing with estrogen, you can prevent further fibroid growth. The biggest factors here are supporting your liver, supporting your gut health, staying away from alcohol, cleansing your home of endocrine disrupting chemicals, reducing inflammation, and maintaining a healthy weight for your size. First, you can support your liver with herbs like milk thistle, dandelion, and burdock. These can be taken as infusions or tinctures, or you can try taking glycine. Support your gut with gentle warming foods like bone broth and other animal foods like meat, shellfish, fish, eggs, animal fats, fermented foods like kimchi and kefir, fruit and cooked vegetables. Sugar, grains, beans, legumes, and raw vegetables should be avoided during gut healing protocols. Iodine downregulates estrogen receptors, but be careful with supplementing. Do not exceed 500 micrograms daily, as this could damage your thyroid, and instead consider just eating high iodine foods like fish, shellfish, egg yolks, and seaweed. Calcium deglucurate binds to estrogen in the liver, helping to deactivate it, and inhibits beta-glucuronidase enzyme, which reactivates estrogen in the gut. Taking a vitamin B complex can be helpful to the liver in the process of deactivating estrogen. And cinnamon and holin formula is a multi-herb formula used in traditional Chinese medicine which can be taken daily to prevent fibroid growth. Conventional treatment for ovarian cysts is similar to fibroids in that there's nothing a doctor is really going to recommend if a cyst is smaller than 5 centimeters. Basically just wait and see if they disappear on their own or grow larger. Another perfect time to start to work on your estrogen metabolism. Sometimes surgical removal is suggested, but really this is not necessary, and you should absolutely seek a second opinion before undergoing surgical removal. The most common treatment given is hormonal contraceptives. Because contraceptives suppress ovulation, it suppresses the growth of all ovarian follicles, including the ones that could turn into cysts. It does nothing to treat cysts that have already formed, and because suppressing ovulation means suppressing progesterone as well, it isn't an adequate treatment for estrogen excess, as it puts you in an estrogen-dominant state without progesterone's balancing effects. 
Also note that the hormonal IUD is known for causing ovarian cysts in 5% of users. Now to move on to autonomous treatments. A big risk factor for ovarian cysts is thyroid disease and specifically hypothyroidism. If you have recurrent ovarian cysts, thyroid investigation is useful. Correcting the underlying thyroid problem can be key to eliminating the future growth of ovarian cysts. And similar to fibroids, avoiding alcohol and xenoestrogens is useful, and focusing on liver and gut health will help you get your estrogen metabolism back on track. Natural treatments are a solid preventative for ovarian cysts, and anecdotally have seen some success with shrinking and disappearing existing cysts. Again, you want to support your liver with herbs like milk thistle, dandelion, and burdock. Support your gut with gentle warming foods. Avoid inflammatory foods, and you can also take a probiotic. You may also want to investigate histamine intolerance, as histamine-rich foods may cause inflammation, which makes your ovarian follicles more sensitive to estrogen. You may want to consider eliminating conventional cow's dairy from Holstein cows, and if you like dairy, supplementing instead with Jersey cow, goat, or sheep dairy, which will generally cause less of an issue as they do not contain the inflammatory A1 casein. You may also want to consider the protocols for supplementation, including iodine, calcium deglucurate, vitamin B complex, selenium, and cinnamon and holin formula. Another possibility is micronized progesterone cream to help you balance out your estrogen levels. So how can we utilize the fertility awareness method to help you understand what's going on with estrogen and how it's affecting your fibroids, ovarian cysts, or endometrial hyperplasia, heavy bleeding, or all of the above? Thankfully with FAM, we measure the hormone estrogen every day when we take cervical fluid and cervical position observations. If you listen to episode 13, it's cervical fluid, not discharge, you can learn all about how the hormone estrogen directs the cervix to produce cervical fluid. In a typical cycle, this would occur only during the fertile window. Estrogen levels should not be high enough during the post-ovulatory phase to produce wet quality cervical fluid. However, with any condition in which there is high estrogen relative to progesterone, you will see that the cervix does what it's asked to do and makes fluid anyway. This means that a fertility awareness chart of someone with estrogen excess is going to show patches of cervical fluid that are sporadic or extend beyond the fertile window. Some people observe mucus every single day in some form, which is a key component of identifying high estrogen in a FAM chart. If you chart your cycle and discover that you're having cervical fluid present every day, this is a strong indicator that there are issues with estrogen metabolism. In FAM charts, we also collect other kinds of health data and symptoms. If you notice tender breasts, heavy bleeding, premenstrual irritability, and even depression, these are all other markers of estrogen excess. Remember that estrogen also tells the uterine lining to be produced, and when there is too much estrogen, too much gets produced, resulting in heavy bleeding. You should also mark down when you start a new supplement and how often you take it for review later on in the healing process. It's always good to be able to look back on these things in hindsight. You may also want to pay attention to your waking body temperature, as this can clue you in to whether or not you have hypothyroidism, and how that can possibly connect to having recurrent ovarian cysts. And now I want to talk a short bit about blood tests. You may want the confirmation from your lab work that estrogen is indeed high, and you can definitely explore that, but you'll want to measure it at the right time in the cycle. 
As we learn in fertility awareness, the hormones fluctuate throughout the menstrual cycle and can even fluctuate throughout a single day. To get a blood test, you'll want to go about halfway through your post-ovulatory phase. If you have a roughly 30-day cycle and you aren't taking your temperature to identify ovulation, you could estimate that at around cycle day 22, you will get best results. Your estradiol levels should not exceed 270 picograms per milliliter or 1,000 picomoles per liter. If it is above this number, you can definitely conclude estrogen is too high. However, it is not necessary to get a blood test if you are taking your cervical observations daily, and cervical observations are presented in the chart across time, making them a more reliable picture of how much estrogen you're producing throughout the entire cycle rather than on a single day. So now putting it all together. At the root of all of this is prevention. We are trying to restabilize the normal path of estrogen metabolism so that estrogen can come in, do its job, and properly be excreted afterwards. Be gentle with your liver during the healing process and avoid alcohol, which can vastly increase your exposure to estrogen. Work on healing your gut by eating a gentle diet, dealing with gut permeability, histamine intolerance, or gut dysbiosis, where bad bacteria are able to wreak havoc, allowing estrogen to be reabsorbed in your body. Avoid antibiotics and pharmaceuticals if possible, which can damage healthy gut bacteria. Avoid endocrine disruptive chemicals found in personal care and home products, plastics, pesticides, and even hormonal birth control, which is technically a xenoestrogen. Reduce inflammatory foods like sugar, gluten, Holstein conventional cow's dairy, and other histamine-containing foods to avoid the effects of insulin resistance and histamine intolerance. Work with B vitamins, calcium deglucurate, selenium, and eat iodine-rich foods. Take a probiotic containing lactobacillus casei. Take magnesium and zinc to reduce inflammation. And try micronized progesterone in the post-ovulatory phase to help counterbalance the effects of estrogen. I find the language that is used when my clients visit the doctor with concerns about ovarian cysts and fibroids is inadequate to actually explain to them what exactly is going on in their bodies. A combination of wait and see what happens and just take the pill is not acceptable. I think if the time was taken to explain to patients what are some of the root causes of estrogen excess, that it would help them to be able to construct a regimen that is right for them in a truly full-bodied way. Shutting down ovulation in the menstrual cycle will not deal with estrogen. Ultimately, your body knows how to detoxify estrogen. In a healthy menstrual cycle, it happens over and over again. And if there's a problem in this pipeline of estrogen metabolism, it's imperative that you find out what it is and to work to correct it. Leaving patients confused about what is causing these conditions is not helping them. And this is something I see time and time again, which is super frustrating for me working on the outside of clinical medicine on these issues. With fertility awareness, we have this amazing barometer for our health, the menstrual cycle. And if we were taught how to use it as a biometric tool, we could learn a lot about what our bodies and what our hormones are doing. And my goal with teaching fam is to share with people that we have autonomous modes of healing and tracking our healing process that far exceed the care that you'll find during any doctor's visit. And that's simply because no one's more invested in your health than you are. 
and there are many limitations to the medical system in terms of time spent with patients, the treatments offered, and general compassion granted to individuals who are struggling. So today we covered what are fibroids, what are ovarian cysts, the path of estrogen metabolism, autonomous treatments for both conditions, and how to use FAM to construct a regimen. I hope this podcast was able to lay it out simple and plain, what is going on with your fibroids or ovarian cysts, and how you can focus on reestablishing a healthy relationship with the hormone estrogen to prevent them from reoccurring and becoming disruptive to your quality of life. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with someone who might benefit from it. You can find my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most recently, YouTube. If you can take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review me, I'd really appreciate that as it helps more people find this show. This episode is brought to you by my Fertility Awareness Education Initiative, hashtag FamTaughtMe. You can subscribe to my Patreon to gain access to member services at www.patreon.com slash FamTaughtMe, and follow me on Instagram at FamTaughtMe to learn more. I'm available for one-on-one consultations and have just published a book, as well as a paper fam charting journal, so you can head over to my Patreon or my socials to find out more info. This concludes episode 39 of the Someone Summer podcast. Good night.